Another thing that I'm sure you're aware of as well that's not spoken about sufficiently is resilience. And, you know, we talk, we talk about it, but the research out there is once you traumatize as a child, once you traumatize in the Ukrainian-Russian war, once you traumatize through COVID, that's it, you're stuffed for the rest of your life. And that's not true. Your brain is neuroplastic. Two-thirds of people will recover totally on their own. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. Hello, hello, Bettys. Welcome back to another episode of Better with Dr. Stephanie. It's me, your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. Today, I have a conversation with Dr. Caroline Leaf. We are discussing her book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. Dr. Leaf is a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscience neuroscientist with a master's and PhD in communication pathology and a BSc in logopedics, specializing in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. She is one of the first in her field to study how the brain can change, in other words, neuroplasticity, with directed mind input. So Dr. Leaf is someone who I've wanted on the show for a very long time, being someone who is obsessed all things brain and brain metabolism and our capacity to change. You can expect this to be a condensed nerd fest between two big nerds, and I mean that in the best possible way. So we start off with her origin story, uh, originally living in Zimbabwe, now being um in the United States, in Texas. And we talked about how to parse between the brain and the mind. Two words that are often used interchangeably for each other, but the brain sort of has a, a home, if you will, in between the, uh, the bones of the uh, skull. And the mind is really everywhere. And you'll hear Dr. Leaf really eloquently uh, explain that. And then we talk about how we can change our brain through actions, through our thinking, through our feelings, and through our chosen action steps. And there is this progression um, that takes place in the mind, and she talks about what she has coined the neuro cycle. So we talk about the different brain waves. So we talk about delta, theta, alpha, beta, gamma waves. We talk about how we can begin to take control of cata catastrophizing thoughts that create an identity that serves us and then maybe no longer serves us. We talk about some of the scaffolding that we can construct to change our identity in a very specific way for the better. And then we outline her neurocycle and the five steps that are required to change who we are. And this is a question that I've been 
kind of obsessed with lately, this idea that personality is not permanent, that we are not our stories. And even though we may have been subject to trauma, stress, hardship, we don't have to become the end product of those stories. So very, very interesting conversation with Dr. Leaf. It is a little condensed, a little shorter than my typical podcasts. Um, We ran into some technical difficulties at the beginning of the show. And that really prevented us from uh, going longer because we uh, um, both had uh, commitments and Dr. Leaf had an interview starting right after our allotted time. Nonetheless, you are going to get a lot of juicy goodness out of this. And I would love for you, once you finish listening to the show, to share it with someone who you think needs to hear this. Who can we help? Who can you help change their mind for the better, because we can talk all about the hormones and all about the metabolism and all about the weight loss. But at the end of the day, if you don't have a strong, resilient mind with cellular grit in the astrocytes and neurons, you are nothing. So without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Caroline Leaf. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause, and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause. And there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam Minerals just taste like water and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. Dr. Carolyn Leaf, I am just thrilled to welcome you to the Better Podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Great to meet you and great to be joining you. Yes, we had a little tech hiccup, but we figured it out and we are ready to go. And I wanted to uh, discuss your book and just your body of work in general. So the book came out uh, maybe a, a few, maybe a couple of years ago now, cleaning up your mental mess. Yeah, my most recent one, yes, was March last year. March yeah. last year. Um, and I thought we might start for my listeners who are not aware of you and your work, a little bit of an origin story. So uh, I know that you grew up uh, in South Africa, uh, maybe during tumultuous times. Uh, now you're located and, and um, uh, you know, in, in Texas. Uh, so talk a little bit about how you came into this work around looking at mindset and what, and deconstructing some of the components that make a resilient mind. Okay. So this is a great question. I started back almost 38 years now that I've been in the field and I was back in the eighties in South Africa. I was born in Zimbabwe, grew up in South Africa and went to university in South Africa, did all my degrees there and all my base research there, ran a clinical practice there for nearly 25 years. We've been here now for 14 years. 
We travel globally across the world teaching these concepts. I run clinical trials. I have since day one. And I've done in the field years of in-the-field research and now I do formal clinical trials and publish and all that kind of thing in the field of psychoneurobiology, which is mind-brain-body connection. So understanding the, what the mind is, what the brain is, the difference, the relationship, the relationship to the body, and then how we can manage it. I started off in a very clinical sense um, with working with people with traumatic brain injuries and, and dementias and autism and, and learning disabilities, severe trauma, and very soon saw that the systems that I was being trained in just were not enough for what we needed, um, for what we were doing for our patients. And it was I remember saying to my professor one day um, that, gosh, you know, he was giving us this whole lecture in neurology about how the brain can't change because that's what they believed in the 80s. And I said- I was taught that as well, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So, and right up until probably late 90s, it was still being taught that the brain couldn't change. And so, yeah, so now we know for sure. And I did some of the first neuroplasticity research in my field because that professor said, and I challenged, and I said, hey, your brain changes because your mind changes, must. He said, well, go do research. It's a ridiculous question, but go and do the research. So I did. And that's where I land up today. I started showing that your brain is neuroplastic. It can change. We didn't have MRIs. Then we had CT scans. But we saw changes in brain structure. We saw changes in emotional, social, cognitive behavior. So that really motivated me to just continue all the research. And as you mentioned, I was in South Africa growing up in very, basically in the apartheid regime, the transition and the post-apartheid. And it was, I mean, it was shockingly terrible. Although racism is everywhere, you know, it was formalized in Africa and it was very evident in my years growing up. And so I spent the nearly 20, almost 25 years, three days a week, going into what the um, the South Africans had created, which were townships, where they pushed the um, and the black people into to live with poor conditions, et cetera. Education was shocking and so on. So I went into those areas and went into the schools and worked in the community centers to help them learn how to learn, learn their, use their brain, mind-brain connection, help them manage emotional things. And it was incredible because the response was phenomenal because they they – that I couldn't go and change all the psychosocial and the socioeconomic situation, but what I could do was tell them about how they function and help them manage in that situation. Now I'd go to a school and there'd literally be thousands of people there. There's no mics. There was no, no, you know, no way of my voice projecting, but people could hear. They would, they would just, they would sit there for hours and teach them about all this stuff. So that, and then I did a lot of research there. And they really, and I had a clinical practice. So I was working with the privileged and I was working with the, 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 the underprivileged at the same time. And it was such a lesson for me. I really learned about resilience and the power of resilience. And that's why I'm so driven. I can tell you a thousand stories, but they're on time. But that's why I've been so driven to help people really understand the science of thought. How can we develop resilience? How can we in the face of the most shocking circumstances? And then just the day-to-day struggles of being a human. How do we manage both ends of the spectrum? And, you know, as well as the sort of therapeutic on the one end and the just day-to-day life. And that's been my life's work. So that now I translated into the app and the books. I've written 19 books. I'm writing my 19th now on helping children with mental health. And um, yeah, so this is my podcast, everything, everything I do now is geared around equipping people to understand the mind brain body connection and specifically what are thoughts, what are memories, how do we, you know, how do we, what control do we have and how do we implement that control? Yeah. And I think that you mentioned something that I'd like to double click on, which is distinguishing between the brain and the mind. So we, we often talk about the mind body connection. Um, however, I would argue, I think that you might agree with this that the mind is not just contained in the 
skull bones, right? The mind is in the body as well. Can you um, maybe expand a little bit on making a distinction between the brain itself, the cortex, maybe the central nervous system and the mind? Absolutely. So the, I've got mod, some models. So those of you that are listening, I'm holding up a brain in the skull, um, not a real one. Um, I always, it's, it's not, a, it's very understandable that people get muddled up between mind and brain. It's very common for people to use the word mind and brain as though they're the same thing, because the languaging for the last 40 years has been very neuro-reductionistic, which means brain, brain, brain. So because of our advances in brain science, which is fantastic, um, but at the same time, it's been a bit of a negative thing because we now, this has led to a philosophy of the brain produces everything. So the brain has been seen as the main thing. So if something, if you're feeling an emotion, that's not, you know, like if it's considered a negative emotion, well, it's not because of your story, it's because of your brain. And so there's been a sort of distortion of, of principles and concepts, which is unfortunate, but they are separate because, and the most, e the easiest way to understand this, which is how I always explain it, I'm going to sort of start right up front, is that you're alive, you're not alive, we're having this conversation, we're able to process what you're what saying, people are listening to us, but if we were dead, we couldn't do this. The fact that we're alive, you're able to take my words, I'm able to take your words, and the listeners and viewers are taking our words, that what when I say taking their words, the mind is the, is the ability that we have to think and feel and choose. It's external and inside the brain and the body. So we talk about the embodied mind. So the brain, if you are dead, the brain disintegrates and the body disintegrates. So the mind is this life force that we can now, it's also physical, as physical as the brain, but it's a different type of physicality. And the easiest way to understand this is using Einstein's theory of relativity or his, his, his very famous um, E equals N mc squared so the mind is like the e the energy and it is gravitational electromagnetic all those things that we know about in science and which we see in and around the human brain and body when you're alive which we don't see when someone's dead so when you're alive this energy if i do a qeg which i use in my neuroscience research on a live person, you'll see massive amounts of energy, et cetera. But a dead person, there's nothing. EKG on a dead person, nothing. EKG on an alive person, which is looking at your heart, you'll see a response. So the mind is this energy force through and throughout the brain, the body, and around the brain and the body. And when we die, that goes, and that's why the brain and body disintegrate. So the mind, on, on a, that's on the, it's physical, it's the energy, and it, the mind becomes a physical. So it becomes matter made of particles inside the brain, and those particles form proteins. So we as humans have this phenomenal capacity to literally take the energy of life, the experiences of life, which are experienced in a to the energy of the mind. The mind takes it, it's like this filter, takes it, puts it in the brain, and the brain then responds electromagnetically, chemically, and genetically. And it collapses that information that's an energy experience becoming energy in the brain into a physical structure that is called a thought, but looks like a tree. So it's in the neurons and dendrites and, and things. And it's like a tree has lots of branches, a thought has a lot of memories. So I'm saying lots of words, you saying lots of words, it's data, and those are memories. So that the words we're saying are energy taken into the brain, and the, so that's the mind taking the words into the brain, and the images collapses and it converts into matter. And that matter is a bunch of memories that cluster together to form a thought tree. And that thought tree is a structural change in the brain, which is neuroplasticity. And this is happening all day long.
while we are awake. And, and at nighttime, your non-conscious mind is sorting out what you've built during the day. So it never stops. Your mind never stops. But your brain does. Your brain has to rest. Your brain will die when you, when you die, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of how it works. And so the mind is constantly thinking, feeling, and choosing, as you, as you mentioned. And this is, um, uh, I think that this part, this is sort of leading us into a discussion that I was saying to you in the pre-chat. I wanted to talk about identity because often, uh, so often we think about identity as permanent, that our personalities are permanent. Um, and we anchor, you know, using the apartheid as an example, you know, I've heard you talk about, you know, individuals when they had their identity cards taken away, well, they had their identities essentially removed. So who were they? Right. Um, and I like this idea that personality is not permanent. And I was sharing with you in the pre-chat so often I would see this in, in clinical practice um, where I had, let's say a patient coming in, maybe they had like diffuse uh, chronic pain, some type of chronic pain syndrome, fibromyalgia is one that, that comes to mind. Um, and patients that when they were, when they identified with the label that they had been given fibromyalgia in this case, we can talk about anxiety, depression, and there were clues in clinic that I would, I would be, I would become more sensitive to. So my fibromyalgia, it was like me and my pal fibromyalgia. This is what we do together. You know, like it had almost integrated into their psyche and that would often change my prognosis of the patient. When I started hearing that type of language, because I knew that they were very much anchored to and tethered to a story that they were consciously or unconsciously uh, seeking to uh, actualize. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about this idea of identity and is it uh, malleable? Can we change our identity over time? And I bring up that clinical example. I think that there's also, uh, you know, value in discussing this in this post-pandemic world where mm. we've had individuals on a mass scale, on a global scale, um, you know, increasing their use of, of drugs, which we can maybe, maybe touch on, maybe not today. Um, but the amount of anxiety that they have experienced, I would argue is a normal reaction, but the traditional, let's say allopathic complex is like, this is an abnormal reaction. You need a medication to deal with this. Um, so your comments on identity, uh, this long preamble for the question, you know, uh, how can we anchor to or unhitch ourselves from the identity maybe that we've been given, the stories that we tell ourselves about our capacity, our worth, you know, and our capabilities? Absolutely. Well, the things you know, your preamble was very good because that's what I say all the time. It's a constant, constant uh, refrain coming from me because we are so in, in, um, inducted and immersed in the concept of being suspect, suspect of our feelings, you know, and it's like, it's, oh, I have a bad feeling and feelings and emotions are seen as this. People talk about emotions all the time, but emotions don't exist in isolation. And when we talk about identity, emotions are never, uh, identities here for a whole, whole identity for a moment. With, if we just keep talking about emotions and emotions being good and bad, that's not healthy because no emotion is an illness and no emotion is bad because every emotion is a messenger. And also emotions don't live alone. They hang out with three other buddies. And that's what people don't realize. Emotions are automatically connected to our bodily signals, our behaviors, and our perspective. And that cluster is linked to 
basically thoughts and how, and how we're processing, which is this thing filled too. So the mind, currency of the mind, just to link the other question and tie it all together, the currency of the mind, psychological currency is think, feel, choose, which we do at 400 billion actions to process life into our brain in the way I described. And the think, feel, choose, the way you think, feel, choose, the way I think, feel, choose, the way every listener on this podcast and viewer thinks, feels, and chooses, in fact, every person on the planet is different. And so your, your identity is housed within the unique way that your mind works. In other words, the currency of your mind, which is your unique way that you think, feel, and choose. So relating that to people taking on an identity like fibromyalgia or like I've also had patients, I talk about there's a case study in here of a patient of mine who in the in the um in day one of the clinical trial, when we the most important part we do blood work and biomarkers and DNA and brain and neuro QEGs and so on. We do a lot in our clinical trials in terms of a matrix of testing. But the biggest and most important is the, is the narrative of the person, the story. The others are just pretty much supportive of, well, when I have this story, my mind's going to play up, my body's going to play up, my brain's going to play up. Um, and the biomarkers tell us how. So we've got to focus on the story. And, and this particular case study in the book I just that we were both mentioning said the identity was depression. They said, I am depression. Now, depression, you can't be depression because depression is not an it, like something like cancer or diabetes or something like that, which is it's often likened to that. It's not because depression is actually a, an emotion and it's therefore in the bucket of, sick, of, of emotional warning signals. So it, it's a type of emotion and it is and it has different extremes and it's linked to the four other signals, which are behaviors, our bodily signals, symptoms, and our perspective, all this whole mind map body integration. So when we see what we saw, for example, that particular subject um, in terms of their identity, they were battling to think and feel and choose beyond that point of I am depression and I am this person who can't sleep and I am this person who's just a broken brain, I'm diseased. And they, the, the more they, they saw that, the more, the worse they got. And they were, they went to all the therapies, all the, all the different types of therapies, all the medications, nothing was working. They were literally suicidal. And I saw, you've probably seen this a lot. I've seen this a lot in clinical practice. And I get emails like this all the time, that labeling locks them in. So their identity was stolen. You steal identity from someone. Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing, salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. LMNT also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want, and if you don't like it, they will refund your money no questions asked, and you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free LMNT sample pack with any purchase. By giving them a label, it doesn't, it doesn't boost identity. It takes it away. That person was helpless. When they went through the clinical trial, which is a process of systematically using your mind, the system, the treatment that we gave them is a system I developed over 38 years ago called the NeuroCycle. And it's a way that you can drive drive your mind to change the neuroplasticity of your brain and body, of your brain and changing your body. So it's a way of organizing your mind, a way of thinking, a way of 
getting your mind back under control in a very systemized way that drives the changes in your brain that are necessary. So it's organizing how that information goes in your brain and changing what's there and making it, you can't change what's happened to you, but you can change how, change how it plays out to the future. So this particular subject. And how you relate to it. And how and you the, and the story that you've told yourself about it. Yes, yeah. yes. It's all part of the elements of a thought. The roots are the story. This is the branch. So how you tell yourself about what you tell yourself about the story. So in a, in a toxic situation at like this particular subject, her, her story, they, the roots were her um, origin is what she went through. And the processing is the trunk. The, the, the branches are how what she's thinking, feeling and choosing about or he's thinking, feeling and choosing about people about themselves so that that comes in this part so it's wired into your brain neurologically and it takes time to wire it in so you can't just throw it out you can't just do a trick or a technique or a positive affirmation or a gratitude statement or you know uh, going round and round circles in a sort of therapeutic situation you have to know you have to embrace process and reconstruct you have to embrace process and reconceptualize, but we're jumping ahead of ourselves. So let's, but it's such a great point you raised. So this takes your identity away. This particular person, their identity was depression. We saw in the front of the brain, we looked at the QEEG, we saw a drop in energy and um, blood flow, glucose metabolism at the front of the brain with the QEEG. And it shows up as like very blue in the brain. So it's flatline, low energy. It's cold, yeah. Very, un- very unhealthy. Yeah. And so that is a huge problem for functionality. Um, once this person, for example, went through, started going through the, the treatment, which was learning to understand why they're showing up like that, they started finding their identity again. And one of the first things they said when we brought them back into clinic after, because there were periods of time, was at day 21, they said, I'm not, I, I'm not depression. My identity is not depression but I, I'm feeling depression because of, and I'm actually feeling worse depression, more anxiety now, two weeks later, because of seeing why I was depressed. So the process of that they had gone through was to embrace the pain, embrace the depression for the message and deconstruct and get down to this point over here. By day 21, you're not, you haven't changed behavior yet. It's not long enough time to, to change neural networks. It's enough time for you to see that kind of thing to start getting your identity back. That person had to go and do more work for at least another 42 days. So I've shown that you, to it takes at least nine weeks or 63 days, three cycles of 21, to be able to reformulate your identity through reformulating and reconstructing and reconceptualizing the cause. So this person's identity had been shot because they had suppressed their childhood trauma and it was such bad trauma. And the only way they could cope for years was to just actually pretend it didn't happen. And they went through a lot of stuff before that, but they're managing we're pretty good at, you know, if you want to, if it's that, you know, we can, or we have the ability with our mind to block memory. But eventually it's about that memories, memories inside thoughts are volcanic. Volcanoes will eventually erupt. And this is what happened in her life. So it messed her identity, it messed her life, et cetera. But she got back her identity. Within 63 days, this person was saying, okay, I'm, I'm realistic. I understand there's a lot going on here. I need to do lots of work. I'm going to be feeling... But she was no longer identifying as depression she was no longer frightened of um of of the feelings and the emotions of depression she was no longer experiencing any of those things she was now moving forward into being having an identity that was focused I i think what you're i think what you're talking about here with this particular patient and this is my hope and dream for all the women that are listening all the all everyone who's listening to the show now is that we move from being the recipient of those thoughts i am depression this is what my story, this is what is going to happen to me to observing 
the patterns in the brain that have happened. You know, it's that famous neurons that fire together, wire together and neurons that wire apart, fire apart. And I think that there's a profound change that you're describing in this, in this patient where she went from, I am depression, right? Or I am fibromyalgia, if you're looping in my example from before, to I am having an experience right now of sad feelings and maybe depression, but that does not define who I am. It is a normal human experience that I'm happening. So she goes from kind of being the recipient of this really big label of depression and all of the societal sort of constructs that that entails to observing the feeling and almost like taking a third eye, let's say third eye view or like a 30,000 foot view from the trees, from the dendrites <laughs> uh, around, you know, what is the emotion, let's say that she like the thinking and feeling and choosing that she's making. Absolutely. And that's what we are very empowered to do is because we have this ability as humans to stand back and observe ourselves. And when you do that, we get a lot of frontal lobe activity. And just coming to the neurons that fire together, wire together, we actually, the research has taken that so much further. It's almost not accurate anymore to say that because what we, it's what the way, the way that, and that's, it's, it sounds weird because it makes so much sense when you say it like that. But when you look at what's happening in the brain, we see that um, what you think about the most grows a thought and so we see that memory is not stored in the connection between neurons it's actually the synapses it's actually stored inside the dendrites and the dendrites get over time become more and more stabilized so if if a person is changing as they stand back and observe themselves and their identity is changing they're not identifying as fibromyalgia or depression and they're seeing it's the trauma or whatever or they're seeing it's just bad habits they've created or patterns they've got into right. as they go through that work we uh, they, if you stop at a certain point like if you stop at 14 days or 21 days, very common for people to stop around um, around day seven because you kind of, you get a big boost and and you sort of think, oh, I've got this. And, you know, people, and I'm talking about not doing a formal thing, but people getting, people start to realize, oh, I'm doing this because of this. People are pretty good at getting to that point fairly quickly. Everybody, we're like that with exercise and dieting too. It's like, I did a whole week. I'm yeah, good exactly. now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. And people see that and they start to see the, and, and people, people will come in, I mean, to therapy will come in or come into a point where I know that I'm like this because of what happened in childhood, but I'm not quite sure what happened or whatever. People at different stages. But I'm, the point I'm making is that people will get to, can start seeing the origins fairly soon. It takes about three weeks, but then people give up. A lot of people stop. And it's very important to go beyond because what happens there is, is this is very dominant. The minute you call, you start recognizing the signals and you start responding and start doing the work of embracing and processing and reconceptualizing. The minute you start doing that, this is this is destabilizing. But if you get to the point of day 21, more or less, you've reconstructed, taken energy from here because energy is never lost in the brain. So these get weaker, they get destabilized, energy is moved into the new, the new thought. But look how small it is. This is competing with this. This is weaker, but it's not yet reconstructed enough. It's not enough time. Um, you've got to get this right out of the ground so that it's very small. Now, whatever's happened to you, like that client of mine that I spoke about in the clinical trial, your patients, et cetera, their story is not going to go away. Whatever's happened to you is never going to go away. So you can't, like with CBT, you know, philosophy, just eliminate. You cannot eliminate your story. And a lot of the move in PT, the current biomedical model with PTSD and any, any kind of label, which is not a good thing anyway to label, um, is going to try and eliminate. You can't eliminate your story. You have to learn to manage. You have to learn to take the power out of it and be empowered. So when we embrace process and we conceptualize over time, 
and our density slowly comes back through this process. This gets smaller and smaller. Look, I notice I'm making it smaller and this gets bigger and bigger. So by the time we hit day 42, we're looking like this. By the time we hit day 63, we have this. This is very weak. Taken, the sting is taken out. I still remember how I was, but now I know I can move into the future. So this is at day 63, This the subject that I was giving you the example of was saying at day one, I'm depression. I can't do anything. I'm giving up. Today, 21 saying I'm not depression. I'm depressed because of today 63 saying okay you know what I can get back to work I know what to do I, I understand where the depression is coming from I know I've got to do the work so that I can actually get to the point where I can form relationships etc cetera, etc cetera. it's a whole different perspective and it's realistic essentially we all live on the edge all the time and it's and we're all going to have levels of worry and anxiety it's totally normal it's very you, you said it I've said it already you've said it multiple times we when adverse circumstances happen we will be anxious and worried and that's okay. We've got to accept that. This is what this client got to that point. Our messaging, however, and I know you've, you, you, you've already intimated this in, in your, your preambles and so on, is that our current model today of, of, of mental health is terrible because it says be suspicious of every feeling you have. And there's good and bad. And if you have a bad one, you're mentally ill. The minute that you do that, you've actually wired a toxic pattern into the brain. That messaging, which people are immersed in at the moment, is one of, oh, there's a pandemic in mental health after the COVID pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. There isn't a pandemic in mental health. We've always battled with mental health. Every generation's battled with something. Ours happens to be COVID, the Ukrainian-Russian war, the huge awareness of racism, which is a good thing because we can now start moving in the right direction, et cetera. But it's not new to battle with mental health. The thing that's changed in the last 40 years is the mismanagement of mind. So as we've advanced in medicine and technology, so we have gone backwards in terms of the stories of people's lives. So we talk about the pandemic as tripling in anxiety, um, doubling in depression, X percentage of this. So we get all this negative, very scary messaging. Oh gosh, we've got to go diagnose and treat, which means label and medicate. That does not solve the problem. The past 40 years have shown that that's made things worse. People that are labeled and drugged create a mindset, change the brain and the body because the mind's embodied, as we were saying, and it sets the brain into a very negative pattern. It drops resilience and increases the chance of, early death. So we see people that are labeled with the men that fall into the mental health bucket and are labeled are dying eight to 25 years younger, which is also accelerated by the medications that are not medications, they drugs, they psychoactive drugs, which should be used very, very cautiously, like ibuprofen in the moment, but not chronically. And that's what we see. So 40 years ago, we had this thing, ah, oh, it's a biological thing. There's drugs, we can fix it. It's like if you have a heart disease, you can fix it. Mental health is not like that. And we see 40 years later, it's a disaster. And it's, it's still going on in that direction. So thank goodness there's you and I and various other platforms that are now trying to say, hey, listen, be human. It's okay. It's okay to be a mess. It's okay to, if you are showing up with a shot identity and I'm fibromyalgia and I can't survive, that is okay. That is not who you are. That's who you are at the moment. That's who you become. It's not who you are, sorry. It's who you have become. There's a because of. And with support, coaching, counseling, therapy, as well as on your own, because you look at yourself 24-7, you can actually be empowered to change that and reactivate your resilience. Because another thing that I'm sure you're aware of as well that's not spoken about sufficiently is resilience. And you know, we talk, we talk about it, but the research out there is once you traumatize as a child, once you traumatize in the Ukrainian-Russian war, once you traumatize through COVID, that's it, you're stuck for the rest of your life. And that's not true. Your brain is neuroplastic. Your three, two-thirds of people will recover 
totally on their own. A third of people needed some level of support that will recover. Only a very small percentage of people will get to a point where they completely break down. And that's because probably they don't have support or they're in something, they're still in the war-torn situation or still in the chronic trauma situation. You know, and that's not the messaging that's being told. What you immerse yourself in, what you merge with, that's what's going to grow in your brain. So we're all sitting with, oh gosh, mental health disease. We are in a pandemic. Our kids are dying younger. This and this and this. And we're scared. But that's not the truth. The truth is, no, you can learn to manage your mind. This is part of life. It's adverse. Those experiences are normal. Or realistic, I should say, not normal. Realistic responses to adversity. We can learn to manage it. And what, an empower, what an empowering message, right? That we actually have the faculties when we're given mm-hmm. a framework like the neurocycle, which we can talk about maybe next, to be able to change our thinking, our feeling, and our choosing. That we are not a victim of a pandemic or uh, a war or what have you. And yes, we're we're not poo poo. We're not. We're not saying that those experiences don't matter, but what we're saying is that you don't have to be stuck there forever, that there can be a transient time where you are depressed or that you are working through some very intense emotions, but that in and of itself, that, that, um, openness to working on it and feeling your feelings is what creates the resilience. It's not the pushing down and pretending like it never happened. It's the the sinking in and saying, how does this feel? Where is this energy trapped in my body? How can I bring more awareness to this and metabolize it and work through it rather than trying to hack or work around it? Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's a great way of saying it because we, we do hack. It, well, not we do hack. Let me rephrase it. Let me stand back. The current medical... We medical like shortcuts. Model. Yes. The yeah. current medical model and the way that we've advanced with technology has created a philosophy that is sort of entrenched in society and that is, I want a quick fix. I'm sick. Let me go to the doctor for the magic pill. And because we've had such advanced in medicine, we've been able to do use a lot of medication to fix things, antibiotics, et cetera. But that doesn't apply to the to the mind. You cannot fix your mind with a pill. You have to, you, because the source of the pain is not in your brain. The source of your pain is in your environment and your experience from the environment. So it's in, embodied in you because the experience was there, it became part of you. And because you use your brain, your mind uses your brain, your mind can't function without your brain and vice versa. Um, your mind needs your brain to show up. So if you're having an adverse experience, this looks like this in the brain, this damages the brain and the body. And I show that with my research that right down to the level of, for example, telomeres. And telomeres, just for making it super easy, you put it, I'm crossing my fingers, my fingernails, um, this crossing of my fingers is a, is, is a chromosome and the, the telomeres are the fingernails. Just to give you an analogy, those telomeres basically help you make new cells. This is the most simple way of understanding this. And we make about 800,000 to a million new cells every second, which is phenomenal. And But the quality of those cells is determined by how you're managing your mind. So how am I dealing with things? And, that's, and part of managing your mind is allowing yourself to be a mess. That's why I say cleaning up the mental mess. It's okay to be a mess. It's okay to be upset. No Ill, emotion is an illness. It's, 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 you, you're able to change these things. You can't change your story, but you can change what it looks like inside of you and therefore how it plays out into your future. And I showed with my research that with this, 
for example, just telomeres, the impact of stress on telomeres, that, that subject that said, I'm depression, their telomeres were so weak that their biological age, which is the age of the cells making the body, was 35 years older than her actual age. And in nine weeks of mind management, she gained 35 years of biological health. So by the end of the study, her biological and chronological age matched. Her body was so inflamed her cortisol levels were through the roof. She was so sickly in her body, so vulnerable to disease at the beginning of the study. By the end of that, that had stabilized. You know, so we saw, and we didn't even expect this kind of thing in such short periods of time. So what I'm saying is that her, from the years of stress, her, the, the, the stress was processed by the mind into the brain and the body. So the brain and body will suffer. The brain and body bear the brunt of life. And so therefore we need medicine to help dealing with the brunt. Of the, of the experience, the impact. But we can't say that there's a biological cause. Thomas Insel was the head of the National Institute of Mental Health for 13 years. He spent 20 billion trying to find the neurobiological correlates of depression, totally barking up the wrong tree, he admits it himself. And so, I mean, this has been money still going in that direction. That 20 billion could have been spent on creating community services, helping people like you and I do the work that we do to reach out to communities and help people to tell their stories and process through their stories. You know, this is where we're sitting in society today. Do we throw 20 billion down the drain again, constantly looking for the cause? When we know people are battling with mental health because of adverse, the adversity of COVID, the isolation, et cetera, et cetera, all those things that have happened around COVID. You know, so it's just like an unrealistic view that we have in the mainframe of society that we've got to change. So let, let's talk about how we get, how we can think and feel and choose better thoughts. And this is a, your body of work. You have an app, uh, the NeuroCycle app, but walk us through some of the steps that we can begin to impart. And this is, I also have to just emphasize how important it is what you're saying. Cause we often you know, and I, I do this, uh, I see this a lot in the context of female metabolism. I have a lot of women that are like, I need to lose weight, you know, perimenopause hormones, just tell me what to eat and tell me, you know, what to do. And I'm going to do it. And while that is important, if you don't fix your mental mess, right. Shameless plug for your book. (laughs) If we don't fix your mental mess, you are just going to maybe do it for a couple of weeks. You know, the three weeks or that you said the 21 days, and then there's a relapse. Exactly. And then what happens is you say, what's wrong with me? Why couldn't I do it? Something must be wrong with my, my own faculties. Something must be wrong with my own willpower. Something that we make excuses. We, you know, we think it to be negative and therefore it is. So walk us through this neurocycle. And this is, I want everyone really to pay attention to how this can integrate into whatever, whether it's an outcome goal or a behavioral goal that you've set for yourself. I want to run a marathon. I want to lose weight. I want to, you know, you know, get rid of my cardiovascular, whatever, whatever the goal is, the outcome goal, this should be an integral part of the behavior in reaching that outcome goal. Absolutely. Okay. So first of all, I have to say up front, this, this, this is not a quick fix. So I'm going to tell you very briefly about five steps. And these five steps are very scientifically worked out to from 38 years of research, a whole theory clinically applied, et cetera. And as simple as they sound, 
you they're a system within which you can put whatever technique you want. So if you're using some CBT techniques, ACT, whatever, you know, everyone's got their things that there's so many great ideas out there. You can slot them in. And if you slot those system techniques into the right step in the system, then what you're doing is you're actually changing structures in your brain. So what you want to do is you want to get these, find these and get them out. Not get them, well, get them weakened and changed and shrunk to this point. And that takes cycles of 63 days. So the neurocycle needs to be done consistently. Um, daily for 15 to 45 minutes for the first 21 days. Then you do it for five minutes a day for the next 42 days. So in the app, I, through audio and video, I walk you through it as I'm giving you therapy. Then you can also use the NeuroCycle as a day-to-day. Once you get a handle, on, you, you, you do the big stuff, the 63-day cycles and multiple, as many as you need, some big traumas you need multiple. I've had some patients, you know, two years of neurocycling, so 12 neurocycles over two years, each one's progress. So there's no cookie cutter how many neurocycles you need for an issue. It's just that that is the time frame where you, of um, the cycles that we break down and rewire the brain, the neural networks, to change the neural networks in the brain, to get rid of these things in the brain, not get rid of, change them, reconstruct them. Um, and so you can also use it in the moment. So, so let's say the day-to-day struggles uh, that you are battling with, like someone argues with you and you're in a meeting and you've got to stay calm or something happens with your kids, you can use it very quickly in the moment. And the other aspect of it is that so there's the deconstruction of big traumas and established patterns over 63 days. There's the in, in the moment use. And I explain that in the book and give examples and in the app. And um, then there's also the brain building aspect, which is a very powerful portion. Your brain wants to learn. So you can build resilience. You can activate more resilience in your brain by using the neurocycle to learn new information that you're interested in, build new habits. It's all growing stuff. So the three aspects are all covered in, in the book and the app. So essentially the, the you prepare your brain and that's, You've got to prepare your brain because your neurophysiology has to be aligned so that you can get the right oxygen and blood flow in your brain and that your brain and body and hormones and everything will focus and, and you'll be you'll be able to do this work more easily. So brain preparation is simple things like your breathing and meditation and so decompression. There's a whole bunch of those in the book and in the app and you can find all of that. They're very easy. So brain prep is all that kind of stuff and you do that for about three minutes and then you start with the neurocycle. Um, if you're doing the big one, 15 to 45 minutes daily, then you'd spend about two to three minutes, maximum five on each step. So you're very disciplined, a little bit at a time. One neurocycle will not solve the problem um, and you're going to do little bits at a time. This is for the big stuff. You can use it in a minute for the quick stuff. So as I said, someone argues with you, you can go through all five steps quickly. So let's talk about it. So you're using it for the 63 days and you notice in your life that um, that you are, that there's just, you're just feeling overwhelmed. It's just a big overwhelm. It's just this big thing of overwhelm. So you want to know what's going on. So sit down and start with some meditation or breathing or whatever you want just to get a bit of neurophysiology and then you do your first step which is to gather awareness gather is a very specific word gather means that i'm in control i walk into the apple orchard i choose which tree and i gather which apple i want to and um, want to pick so i'm in control and it's limited i'll pick that one that emotion and put it in my basket so depression i pick that emo that what's emotion never hangs out alone it hangs out with three other friends the other friend is behaviors what am i saying what am i doing i put that apple i'm withdrawing next apple what what is where's this in my body gut okay that apple and then fourth one what's my perspective life sucks boom that apple in the basket and you've gathered now you move very systematically your brain is unbelievably systematic you're doing million, not thousands hundreds of millions of operations per second and calculations. So the more organized you are and the more systematized you are, the more efficiently you'll, you'll restructure your brain. 
Um, so the second step is a reflect step where you're asking, answering, and discussing why. Why do I have that emotion? Why the things in your basket you're questioning? Then you you do that limited time. The power is in the order, the steps, the time over time. So it's within within and and going across the time frame as I'm explaining. Um, and then you're going to take all of that and you're going to write. The first step is the third step is a write step, but it's where I use a system called the Metacog, which is a way of putting um, information on paper in a very chaotic way the more chaotic the better because you just want to mind dump you want to just pull up associated thoughts from your non-conscious then the fourth step is also a right step where you check what you've written and then the fifth step is where you basically close the work for the day it's like the full stop on sentence so that's a very brief run through but you've destabilized um by you've prepared by gathering awareness you destabilize make these branches weaker weaker if it's thought if you if it's suppressed it's in the non-conscious driving you you can't change it the non-conscious is the most powerful and intelligent part of you. So, and your non-conscious is on your side. It's always trying to make you aware. So, the non-conscious looks for these and then sends signals through the subconscious. And the non-conscious is not the unconscious. The unconscious is when you're asleep. I'm talking about the non non-conscious. This is where these reside. Okay, and then um, they, your non-conscious scans, finds these that are impacting you, sends them through, sends signals through your subconscious into your conscious as the signals, the warning signals, the four emotions, behaviors, as I've just described them. So when I say gather awareness of the signals, you are basically pulling this up into the conscious mind. As soon as it's conscious, it destabilizes, it weakens. So now I can start changing these branches and so on. So essentially what you're doing with the five steps is you're pulling this up, you're embracing these signals to pull this up because those signals have got invisible threads that are linked to this. So as you pull them up, this comes up. And then this is the thought this part of the thought is your interpretation, how you think, feel, and choose about yourself. This is how you processed it, and this is where it comes from. So you're deconstructing and reconstructing That's the process. I love that, and I think as you're talking, I'm, I'm, it, it's, it's almost like you're tending to your garden, right? So we think about tending to the weeds in the garden because if you let them grow, they will flower and seed and and take over the garden if you're not uh, careful. Uh, very, very well um, explained. I know we are a little short on time uh, in terms of uh, our commitment today, but I wanted to just thank you so much for, we we went we went in right in, got all, like we condensed our, this information. It's been wonderful. We'll definitely have to get you back on again when your next book comes out, uh, Mental Health for Children. I'm very excited about that. Um, where can people find you? Uh, can we download the app in the app store? Like where can we, where can we find more of your work? Absolutely. The app is in the app store. It's called NeuroCycle. So you're neurocycling through your brain. Um, and that's available iTunes, Google Play. Um, you can, my social media handles are Dr. Caroline Leaf. And from there, you can also find everything. Um, I'm on TikTok as well. It's Facebook all, all over the place. My podcast is called Kenya Mental Mess. Books are available wherever books are sold and my website's drleaf.com. Wonderful. We'll have all of that in the show notes. Dr. Leaf, thank you. It has been wonderful spending time with you and I look forward to connecting with you soon. Absolutely. I enjoyed it so much. Thank you so much. All right. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I must give you the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer here. This podcast, Better with Dr. Stephanie, is for general information only and the advice, recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment or care. 
In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship that has been formed and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. In other words, guys, be smart about this. Take it with a grain of salt. Take this information to your primary health care provider and have a discussion with him or her to make the best choice that is for you. Remember, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. And these conversations are meant for educational purposes only. 